A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. classic horror films, and other pulp fiction. Today, we travel to Gotham City to review Matt Reeves' The Batman. This time, Robert Pattinson dons the cowl and cape and will help answer the question, do we really need another gritty take on Batman? <laughs> With me, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. So, Steve, I was thinking that you and I have varying tastes when it comes to film and television. We have some similar sensibilities, but I don't think that anything unites us as much as a new Batman film will <laughs> unite us. I feel like we both really anticipate a new Batman movie. Yeah, and it's it's I was I've been thinking about that a lot too. Like I remember in 89 and the in the the build up mm-hmm. to to Batman was unlike anything I like I know that blockbusters have been around, mm-hmm. right? And you and I, um, we spent the night outside of a movie theater uh, to get tickets to <laughs> Phantom Menace. Yeah, uh, right. We brought a giant TV and, and an inflatable mattress because, anyway, we don't need to get into our own Did psychosis. we really bring a giant TV? Yeah, you brought a TV from your house and then they ran an extension cord. Uh, from the theater, and uh, we did a viewing because this was like before streaming or anything. Okay, like that. I remember sleeping outside. I, the fact that I brought a screen for the people online to watch—that sounds like me. I have no memory of it. Wow, that was a big deal. It was a massive TV, one of those big old tube TVs. <laughs> nice, very good. I, well done, Anthony. It's too bad that the screening outdoors was better than the screening indoors. That right. Um, but yeah, so like 89 Batman, I mean, shirts were everywhere. I mean, just that mm-hmm. that yellow and black logo was everywhere. And it was such a big deal. Just so anticipated. Oh, then, yeah. You know, it was like a MTV thing. There was a McDonald's oh, yeah. campaign. Sure. You could like win the Batmobile. I mean, they did a lot to promote that movie. And you and I, um, I don't know if you recall this, uh, you probably won't since it seems like your memory is fading pretty dramatically. Um, 
when Batman Forever came out, uh, yeah. you and Heather and I went to a midnight showing. And at the time, there wasn't really like a that was kind of a newish thing, I believe, was mm-hmm. the midnight showing. Yeah. So we went. We went to. I think uh, it was the first midnight showing I'd ever been to. It might have very well have been. Yeah. And uh, we we felt the same <laughs> about <laughs> that movie, uh, specifically Tommy was Lee Jones. Was that Val Kilmer? I I don't yeah. remember. Okay. Kilmer, Lee Jones, Carrie, uh-huh. uh, Kidman. Sure. Yeah. That was the first iteration <laughs> of the Riddler. Yes. Right. Cinematically. Uh, yeah. So we had, so then there was that. And then of course, yeah. I mean, and so the, the Bale trilogy, the, the Nolan trilogy was such a, um, was such a big deal. And, uh, and here we go again. Right. I mean, I would say that I don't think I was particularly excited about, uh, any of Zack Snyder's attempts, though I right. did see Batman versus Superman in the theater by myself, and I think I might have just been by myself, not just not with somebody coming with me, but nobody well, else. Well, you in the also, theater. if I recall, you also appreciated his longer cut, right? That was on HBO Max. Oh, for uh, Justice League. Yeah, I didn't mind it, right? Like I, Batman versus Superman is unwatchable dreck. Man of Steel is half of a decent movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm just not a Zack Snyder guy. I mean, Watchmen yeah. is completely missing the point um, of, of the novel. Um, and and so Justice League, I gave it a shot. I think I broke it up into a few watches. Um, and I didn't mind it as much as I thought. In fact, there were elements of it that I actually kind of appreciated. Sure. Um, but I, Batman was never one of the highlights for me. And I don't know if it was a Ben Affleck thing, if it was the treatment of Batman by Snyder. For me, it was a Ben Affleck thing. I felt like I would like to pretend like that never happened. So I recently like rewatched all the Batmans, like towards the end of last year. Uh huh. Um, and so I, maybe I've become a little bit more of a Batman apologist. I will not apologize for anything that Ben Affleck does in a bat suit. It's fucking horrible. Um, (laughs) Like to the point where I'm like, I don't think Ben Affleck's good in anything. Like that's how bad of a Batman he is. And uh, uh, I mean, I'll I'll even defend Batman and Robin. I'll defend uh, you know aspects of Batman Forever. Um, I think I, I think the the Nolan trilogy. The more I watch it, the less I like it. And it's hard. That one's difficult because. It's hard to express how what a big deal it was at the time. Right. It was such a big deal at the time. Well, we didn't think, because again, we were coming off Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. And I feel like we never really, like even as, as much as like the, the reverence I may have for Batman and Batman Returns. But by the way, I think Batman Returns is super underrated. Um, it's so weird. I haven't weird. seen it in a long time. It's so weird. It is like, it is, that's where Burton gets like the green light. To go, well, now I'm going to make a real Tim Burton Batman. You thought Batman was a Tim Burton Batman? This is a Tim Burton Batman. It's fucking weird. <laughs> and I love it. Um, it's goofballs, man. It is goofballs. And Danny DeVito deserved an Oscar for that role. And <laughs> and so then forever and... Um, is that the one where DeVito bites someone's nose off or something? Yeah. Hmm. So you get you get Batman Forever, you get Batman and Robin, and those are real bad. So then we were kind of like, well, Batman was just, I think, we never really got it realized, right? We didn't get a trilogy from Burton. We didn't really get to see where that was going to go. 
Then it got Schumacher, which was I think that there's elements. Well, that here's the thing. Keaton was great. There, there was a whole there was a whole process. At first, Keaton was a scandal. Like, yeah. why would you cast a, a, a comedic actor in this part? And then everyone fell in love with him, and he did too. And then and then you kind of slowly lost interest in the Clooney and the Val Kilmer. Right. You were trying to sort of keep these sequels going without doing right. a reboot. And no one ever made no one ever like sort of for for my money was as good as Keaton. Well, cuz Schumacher takes over 3 and 4 because they have uh-huh. like Keaton doesn't want to come back cause I think cuz of like licensing issues. He wants to get a cut of the toys. Hey, you're using my face. I'd like to get a cut of this profit, right? Uh, Tim Burton and the studio, I think, have some sort of a, a, a falling out. And so he, com- I think he stays on as a producer and he blesses Joel Schumacher. Schumacher takes more of the campy Batman series approach. He tries to meld the mm. two, right? He takes from what Burton had done visually and kind of the world he created. And then he tries to bring in a little of the camp. By the time Batman and Robin comes around, it's full camp. I mean, it is exactly what the series was right i mean it is yeah. outlandish villains that are over the top and your yeah, batman neon and robin, colors yeah your uh, batman and robin are kind of the straight men to the to the uh the wacky villains well on top of that you've got robin yeah and that's a, a hard robin one to any of this you can add a robin to any of these movies and it will ruin them nolan burton and now matt reeves have created yet another universe where there can be no robin mm-hmm. it makes no sense the best and, Batman and Robin duo ever was Tony Stark and Peter Parker. Right. That's how bad Batman and Robin is. Yeah. So so then, you know, you go through. So then by the time we got Nolan's, we're like, hey, look, here's a heady, you know, take on on Batman. And like, and he hit all those notes, right? I mean, P- Christian Bale was, a, was a, a, a good Batman and he was also maybe even a better Bruce Wayne. Um, well, I think you're right. He was a good Bruce Wayne for sure. I never thought. I almost thought that those movies worked in spite of Christian Bale. I never right. thought he was a good Batman. I mean, and, I, I shouldn't say that. I never thought he was a great Batman. Right. I think so. I look always looked at it was Keaton was great Batman, great Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Kyle Kilmer was good Batman, bad Bruce Wayne. Clooney, excellent Bruce Wayne, terrible Batman. Um, I well, because terrible. Clooney can only act if his head's bobbling, right? And you put him in the cowl, and he can't bobble his head anymore, right? <laughs> and then he's he can't act. That's like his. It's like Samson's hair. <laughs> so I think the anticipation for Matt Reeves' take and even Robert Pattinson has everything to do with with wiping the slate clean with Affleck and Snyder. I think for me. Sure. Um, yeah. because I never really, I never, I don't, I never accepted it fully in, in my, in my bat catalog, my battalog, mm-hmm. if you will. <laughs> okay. But you know, it, it happened. I mean, it was, it was supposed to like spawn a Ben Affleck directed, um, version of, of Batman, you know, and, and I will say that what Snyder was trying to do that previous attempts had not done was incorporate more of the the fantasy element, right? Um, Batman has notoriously, since I think Burton, been been grounded somewhat. I mean, there's been 
some fantastic things that happen. I mean, there's a billionaire in a bat suit. Um, that seems like enough. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like all the films that we've seen outside mm-hmm. of the Snyderverse, none of them would have really been able to have like Killer Croc, for example. You know what I mean? Like it just sure. doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like so, that's why you have to really focus on the more natural, <laughs> you know, plausible villains like clowns. <laughs> um, now, I, if I recall correctly, you did not have the same feelings towards The Dark Knight on a rewatch as you did when you initially watched. Yeah, it. I did a whole thing. I enjoyed it the first time, and then I tried it the second time, and I realized I just don't care about this third act. This mm. just seems like a over the top third act. And I just not into that kind of thing. And then, you know, I started watching it again with my kids. Then I realized, eh, maybe I'm expecting too much out of a Batman movie. At the time, we said this was great, not just for a Batman film, but for any film. I think that mm-hmm. was kind of the feeling. So yeah. I think, I think to your point, you go back and, and of course we say that having gone into it to watch a Batman movie. So then you watch it with a more critical eye that says, okay, well, let me do that. Let me walk into this thing. Forget the fact that it's Batman. Let me just watch it and see if it's a great film. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know how you feel about Matt Reeves, the Batman, but I had to, I had the same I had the same uh, reaction as I did uh, mm-hmm. with Dark Knight um, last night. I'm gonna save I'm gonna save my take on this. I, I think that maybe we should alert listeners that going forward we probably will uh play around with spoilers so if you uh, we're are... gonna we're gonna just muck ourselves up with spoilers we're That's just right. gonna wallow in it and we're gonna fling spoilers at each other mm-hmm. so if you haven't seen the batman i would pause this podcast mm-hmm. go see it and then immediately unpause it uh <laughs> if you have no intention of watching the batman listen if you don't like this podcast well i appreciate you sticking around this far That's weird. So, I thought, in honor of our mutual love for Batman movies, Steve, I would blow up our previous categories, and I would introduce the bat categories. The categories, if you will. The categories. And, of course, we will, at the end, of give our take on whether it's better than a Ron Howard movie. So, this mm-hmm. is noticeably, recognizably a Cocoons of Horror pod. But I just felt like... People if just you go keep in, tallying at home, like people that would keep score at baseball mm-hmm. games. Like, where is this going to go on the Ron Howard scale? <laughs> That's right. So I just thought, if you walk into any Batman film, there's just things that you expect to see. And so I've come up with 15 criteria. And I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and read them off. And then what Bat-teria. we will do... Sorry, I'm not going yeah. <laughs> to... And then what we will do is we will say whether this movie exceeded our expectations on these points. Okay. All right. So the first one is the depravity of Gotham City. Did the movie adequately portray the depravity of Gotham? I mean, every every Batman movie is going to have to do this, right? Right. So, all right, so that's the first one. Second one is Batman emerges from the shadows for the first time. You expect that from every Bat movie. Did this one do it well enough? Uh, Batman freaks out a a street tough. (laughs) Batman deals with childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. Batman introduces a new gadget. Batman establishes a relationship with Gordon. 
Batman and Alfred's relationship is established. Batman reveals the Batmobile. Bruce Wayne displays his currency as a social elite. Batman reflects on his own vigilanteism. Then Batman meets an equal or more powerful vigilante. Batman contends with the Wayne legacy. In other words, his father's legacy. Batman jumps off a building. Batman brings hope to Gotham City. So there's our 14. And then the 15th, of course, is the Ron Howard question. Right. So let's go ahead and go through this. Is the depravity of Gotham City demonstrated sufficiently for you in the Batman? Uh, all right, kids. It's spoiler time. Yeah, it is. We're in. We're in. Uh, yeah, it's the wettest Gotham City. For sure. Right. Well, and not this, only that, but it gets the, wetter. The, clim- the climax <laughs> of the movie is severe water damage. Yeah, well, that's always severe been severe water. That's kind of my thing. <laughs> the climax. Okay, never mind. Um, it, no, I mean it is. It is the wettest Gotham City, which, and I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, I really, really liked this depiction of Gotham City. Okay, um, I did too. I thought it was good. It's real I big. Thought, it's super big. It's yeah. uh, it's lavish. You know, I mean, mm. it feels it's. It, like it feels like New York in many ways. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it feels fully realized. Um, and I almost feel, for me, it felt more like a comic book Gotham than the Christopher Nolan Gotham cities, mm-hmm. uh, which were a little bit more realistic. The Joker, the recent, the recent Joaquin Phoenix joint. It could have been New York. It didn't have to right. be Gotham, right? You would almost expect this place feels like New York, but they just kind of slapped the label Gotham City on it, right. right? This one felt different, and I I will absolutely commend the the movie makers for creating this Gotham. Yeah, I agree. So we like this. So we're going to say that this one exceeded our expectations. Is that yes. is that fair? Right. Yes. All right. Yeah, because I mean, whereas Burton's was very, um, it had a comic book or or more cartoonish type flair. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I don't think it was it ever felt fully realized. It always just felt like segments. Uh-huh. Whereas this, I'd go so far as to say that Gotham City was almost a character in this uh, film. I agree. I will say this: this would be a good time to mention this is that I think that a few reviews leading up to this made me think that this was going to be the darkest Batman yet. Um, I don't feel like this felt any more or less dark to me than any of the Nolan movies. What, how about you? Yeah, I, I would say maybe more somber. Well, Batman uh, was more sad. Yeah, he was the, definitely the saddest Batman. <laughs> uh, wettest Gotham, saddest Batman. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, wettest Gotham. That, that's not a bad way into this movie. Right, so. <laughs> Are you ready for a wet Gotham? Do you want the wettest Gotham combined with the saddest Batman? Yeah, no, I like it. I like that. Yeah, I don't know that it was any more dark. Um, I heard. I just heard a bunch of people say that it's the darkest Batman. I, I feel like. I mean, at one point Heath Ledger breaks a cue stick mm. in half and makes two coworkers battle to the death. Yeah. That that's pretty dark. I felt like this this is a dark movie, but I don't feel like it's the darkest. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think it was any more. I mean, there was. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a little. I mean, because it comes so out the gate with the Riddler, and we don't maybe always associate the Riddler with mm-hmm. violence like this. 
Yeah. So it might be a little more jarring. Right. Um, okay. Next category. Batman emerges from the shadows for the first time. This happens in every Batman movie. It sure does. And it's got to be a wow moment. If it's not a wow moment, you almost are a little bit disappointed. So what mm-hmm. about you? Uh, this, this might be my favorite Batman emerging from the shadows. Oh, good night. Really? Yeah. I was going to say exceeds expectations, but I am not. I was not prepared for this. So tell me why. Uh, well... I'll tell you, I mean, Heather and I both had the same, I mean, again, you feel like there's nothing new under the bat signal when it comes yeah. to, to chasing after, <laughs> after the Batman. Um, uh-huh. And it comes out and we both were like, yeah. <laughs> and I know it may seem like a little reaction, but I don't know that I've had like, especially at, at this advanced of an age with this many Batmans under my belt, the ability uh-huh. to go, oh yeah, it's Batman. Like that. That yeah. was enough for me to go, yeah, this is pretty great. You know, and I could be a prisoner of the moment. I need to maybe go back and revisit all the Batman emerging moments. But mm-hmm. there was something so much more quietly menacing about this one. The reason it worked for me, I think, was because up until that point, there was like four or five instances where you had a criminal kind of looking at a shadow and nothing happens. Oh, that was great. They and knew you kind of get the sense yeah. that like he's not everywhere. But everywhere in Gotham City, criminals are afraid of the shadows. Right, right? and I th- and that and that's what the voiceover is kind of suggesting, right? Like he basically yeah. says, "I can't be everywhere, but the threat of me is everywhere." So that's yeah. that. Like one of his superpowers is that fear, right? And so when that bat signal goes up, everybody, like every, like you know, guys that are tagging the pillars are like, "I'm going to kick this uh, <laughs> spray can away." Uh, everything. So it's just a matter of like, well, I was we, thinking when that happened, I was thinking, do you think Batman is really going to be like, I, I, cleaning same, up the city from political tagging? Same exact thing I was thinking. I mean, there's like, so there are guys getting beat up on a subway, and he's like, we got to keep Gotham clean. <laughs> this was the first Batman movie to do a voice, like a like an old timey detective noir yeah. voiceover which did it work for you oh my god uh so this is what i think we've talked about in the past is how you know he's supposed to be the world's greatest detective yeah and and i and he always would like figure things out in all these movies i mean it's not like it was just action batman but, mm-hmm. but i i what i always wanted with a riddler is solving something and i and this definitely felt like it was one of those it's a movie where you know you got to solve these. You got to solve this crime. You got to follow right. the clues. And so I think the voiceover really worked. In fact, I could have maybe even done with a little more, to be honest. Yeah, I think that they did just the right amount. I felt like I, I wasn't expecting this to be a noir thing uh, because of the trailers. It felt like you know, it felt like more like The Crow uh, to okay. me. I was expecting more along those lines. So I'm glad they didn't overdo the voiceover for me. It didn't well, it ruin sort of book ended. It bookended, right? I mean, it sure. you know, yeah, yeah. introduces. So that's where you can get away with a little bit of exposition, right? Like right. You, set, you set a bit of the stage, but it is talking. It, it's what I like about most voiceovers when they're in the main character's voice. It reveals just a, a, the touch of narcissism that I think you need in a main character. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to color themselves a little, little more interesting and they're going to highlight the importance. Okay, Batman freaks out a street tough. Well, I liked 
uh, <laughs> I liked, you know, the initial they laugh at him, right? I mean, that's good. I think that this one didn't work for me. Oh, the is he talking about the initial battle? The initial battle. It was sort of like uh, you got these guys and they're all wearing face paint. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of their gang is that they wear white face paint. I guess mm-hmm. these guys are not that afraid of Batman. They they're going to try to fight Batman. Right. They did not seem very freaked out. The guy that Batman was actually saving, he was freaked out. Which I like that. I like that this idea. This poor guy is in the wrong movie. Like, he thought he was going to be in Marvelous <laughs> Miss Maisel, and all of a sudden he's in Batman or something. Well, I, I like that they thought that they had the numbers, right? I think that's what it came down to. Right. Is uh, the, one, the one kid, the, the guy that was, I guess, kind of going in for, like, an initiation, he was, he was scared of Batman, you could tell. Um, but he was also just kind of altogether apprehensive. Um, and so these guys weren't, necessarily freaked out by him they thought that they could they could outnumber him and it's it's interesting too because like i think we got a little bit of a glimpse of that people are afraid of batman we don't know how present he's been Mm -hmm. we don't know how much he's done how much damage he's inflicted so there could still be this sense of dude it's one guy it's one guy right uh but if we are all here then forget it we could take this one guy well okay so this brings up a different issue so this was a batman without an origin story right Mm, I will disagree, but I will uh, I, I will put a pin in that. Okay, all right. We are introduced to Batman, and the first voiceover we hear is that he's been on the streets of Gotham City as the Bat for a year and a half already, two years already. Something. It's a long period of time, mm-hmm. enough so that people are afraid of the shadows. Right. Basically, we're we're starting with the Batman mid-career it may be earlier like early mid-career but we do not see him sort of don the cowl for the first time right so tell me what you think about the origin part yeah this whole movie is a batman origin story Mm, okay he starts off as a agent of vengeance and he ends as a hero and so the movie starts with him giving basically a voiceover pumping up the fact that he's People are afraid of him, and he's here to wreck shop, and he's here to right wrongs, all that kind of stuff. The hell are you supposed to be? I'm vengeance. That's not hero language, right? That is that is the vigilante, that is the vengeance, as he right. refers to himself, and so... He calls himself Vengeance. So he may be one to two years or whatever into that role, but this is the first... The, 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 the finale of this movie is Batman becoming a hero and recognizing okay. that he has... That that's, that's what he's there for. If he wants to maintain a legacy, right. that's how you do it. And, I, so, and to yeah, me, that, okay. was, that, was, that was my big takeaway. And, and that Interesting. Is, so, and that's one thing I really appreciated about this is there's... What we've seen in most Batman movies, I mean, Batman Begins is, I think, one of the clear exceptions, is origin stories for the villains. Mm, and, yeah, sure. and Batman, you get like... it's Usually Batman, you'll get like a flashback. Right. Batman is already in progress. Let's watch Martha's Pearls bounce in slow motion and away we go. Yeah. I thought, I, all right. I like that. I hadn't thought about it that way. But what you're, if I understand you right, what you're saying is that... Batman has not become Batman yet. He has this sort of 
transition period where he's more like the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And yep. he calls himself Vengeance, and so he's certainly not a hero. He's just a vigilante, and he needs that transition period. And we, what we see in this film is him transitioning from a vigilante to a superhero. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, that helps me. Absolutely, that helps me. Because, you know, Steve, I like origin stories. In fact, I think it is my favorite part of a superhero story. Um, Batman deals with childhood trauma. I'll go first on this one. Sure. I think this was brilliant. How many times have we seen the image of little, you know, little Bruce Wayne in the alley? The poor Waynes get shot, and the, the pearls, you know, bounce on, on the ground, and you see it's a camera angle up through the grate. This one, you had none of that, but here's what you did have. Batman walks into a room where someone has, where a young boy has witnessed a dead body. And he just kind of stares at the kid for like five minutes. (laughs) Right. Sure feels like it. (laughs) it. It was a long time. This movie is a long movie. Yes. He's staring at the kid, the kid's staring back at him. And no words are spoken, but you just got to kind of get the sense, oh, he sees himself in this traumatized boy. Right. I don't think there was any other way to read that scene. No, and I think that's what Matt Reeves does very well, is he says, you guys at this point know. Yeah, sure. You know, and it's still important to highlight because this is what drives him. Uh, But Matt Reeves, I think, really trusts the audience. Uh-huh. And trust the actors and his own ability to tell a story. Well, with l- a little caveat anything. there. I do think at times there's a little bit too much exposition in this movie. Yeah, I could. Well, especially I think between him and uh, uh, Selena Kyle. That's right. But in that scene, in that moment, you didn't have to. You know, you didn't need someone saying like, uh, "Weren't you about this age when?" That's the kind of thing. So, yes. you're me. <laughs> Yeah, so I really thought that this exceeded expectations with the, the, and I think like we said, this is the saddest Batman, right? Yeah, you really see the childhood trauma uh, on the Batman's face, right? And uh, I, I think that they did some really interesting things deconstructing that as well, um, and we can get to that when we get to the, the Wayne legacy um, portion, sure. Because because especially the interaction with the Riddler. Sure. Okay. Batman introduces a new gadget. Oh, the sumo Thoughts? suit that flies. <laughs> he did. He did. Let's save that for, for Batman jumps off a building. <laughs> okay. Two things can be equally true. Don't step on a later category. <laughs> All right. So two new. I was just going to mention two new gadgets. These are very real world kind of things. Um, like th- you can imagine. A camera working in a contact lens, right? Right. Even if that technology maybe isn't perfected, you could absolutely imagine that, right? Right. And what I liked about it is it did need some, like it had like some VCR tracking issues. (laughs) And then the one that I thought was the best is that Batman keeps a little adrenaline shot on his belt. That was awesome. And that was such a great moment too when he uses it. Uh, Because it just unleashes everything. (laughs) 
I thought that was a, I mean, just a, an amazing, because the Bat Belt is always doing too much in my mind, right? It's uh, almost like, oh, you got that on the Bat Belt, huh? Wow, that's right. magic. This is, I mean, man, this was unexpected and really badass. So. Well, I like he had the Bat Belt, but didn't he also have like a bit of a like a Bat fanny pack or something? He had things that were kind of hanging on the <laughs> side, like Bat cargo pants that just the one pant leg was just full of stuff. You didn't see it until the cape got ripped off. Let's do that one. Batman jumps off a building. Okay. Yeah, that's when the sumo suit comes on, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, he gets up to the top of this building, and he's going to jump off, and immediately he has this moment of fear. He's afraid of heights. He freaks out. He freaks out. I've never seen that in a Batman movie. That that was – it's so amazing how – what a small – moment that is but i think Mm -hmm. it does so much to ground the character and just to help you because i mean he's batman right i mean he's not superman he's not and and we've most of the time batman's not really afraid of anything right and but this movie does have a an undercurrent of fear as a theme right Right. well i guess batman's sort of his origin story is that he's learned to project his fear right he's used he is he does have fear but he's learned to control it and he's learned to sort of engender fear in other people right in this one he's not quite there yet you know he's not there yet. well and also it's like has he used this (laughs) this particular apparatus before like maybe it's like well theoretically this should work (laughs) i got the sense it's like maybe not from this height right right and then he has that moment where he it's not a smooth landing. Like he Oh yeah, that landing was amazing. He just he goes greatest American hero for sure. <laughs> and then he loses the, the cape, right? And then you see like, oh, he's got a lot of like cargo pants on. Um Batman establishes a relationship with Gordon. Now this is I think where the movie does not work for me. Oh, I feel okay. like that was a really important relationship. I love Jeffrey Wright. Just, just a moment to mention how many amazing actors are in this movie, right? Yeah. I don't feel like. I mean, I guess we're meeting Batman. They already know each other. They already trust each other, right? But I felt like that's that was almost the most important relationship in the film, and I don't feel like they gave me enough there. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I just appreciated the. Um kind of the the nuance of their relationship it's it's very like jim's you know gordon's out on a kind of on his own in this doesn't have any of the other uh police officers well they think he's a he's bringing a freak onto a right. crime scene right and so i and every moment in that initial crime scene to me was just i see i felt like i was getting into that relationship without them necessarily interacting because everybody else's reaction to the fact that Batman is here, but this is such a big case and this is such a big deal. Obviously, he knows about the to the Batman uh, uh, card, but it's like he's he's like, all right, I'm bringing Batman out of the shadows because I know what he really, I know who he really is in terms of hmm. what he can do, how important he is. That the reality is is that he actually makes our job easier, whether we want to admit it or not. So there's a certain element of vulnerability as a kind of a fallible police officer that's like you know we could really use batman so he just sort of brings him in and everybody's got this like (laughs) 
those are parts that I think are played for some of the best laughs when Batman's just standing there and the forensics guy just it doesn't is, really know what it to do. It really does feel like you're on the, the, I don't know, a scene of Serpico or you, you know, you're standing next to bullet or something like you like you're in some sort of seventies crime drama and there's just a guy in a Halloween costume. Right. Just like like he actually did get like the well we we called the detective over but he was in the middle of a, a Halloween ball, um, and he just told him just drop everything and show up. Uh, it's it's so but it, I think you know I mean there were elements I think that were played a little differently that maybe mm-hmm. I would than I would have liked um, when they're interrogating the penguin like that was kind of it was kind of fun in a way, but it. At the time, I think it was supposed to have more gravity than it did. But I did, whenever they uh, would team When they up, were inter- interrogating the Penguin, well, let me just say that any scene that Colin Farrell was in, I was completely taken out of it. Oh, really? Because w- he was this sort of slapsticky goon? No, because they they put a fat suit on him. Uh-huh. And I just thought, oh, you're Colin Farrell. You're, you're in a fat suit. I'm, I'm not in the movie anymore. I'm just trying to look and see, like... Can I find Colin Farrell in there? <laughs> exactly. Well, it was see, like that... a Where's Waldo moment for me. So, if you hadn't known that was Colin Farrell, would that have bothered you then? Would you have just, or how would that character have have in those? Scenes? I mean, he's a little cliche or whatever, but uh, I wouldn't have been looking for the real man underneath the yeah. fat suit every single. So time. that's more of just a casting thing. That's not necessarily the problem with the the performance necessarily. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, is I'm like, you know what? There were moments I'm like, everybody's playing this pretty, pretty much the same tone. And then the penguin comes in. And then I was like, hey, Steve, that's the penguin. You know, from (laughs) Batman. Maybe just chill out on them. Well, I don't know if I believe this gangster. He's the penguin. All right. Anyway, did you feel like the Gordon character was... A good. You think that the introduction to the Gordon character was enough for you? Um, I could have probably used a little more, just in terms of I like that. I liked what I was seeing. I I think I think I I liked it better than you for sure. Um, I thought because that, that I was... love Jeffrey Wright as an actor. In fact, yeah. I love. I mean, you could just go down the list of the amount of people in this movie that I love as as act. You know, Paul Dano, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard. I mean, these are some of my favorite actors, and I kind of felt like they were underused in this mm. movie. Um, didn't didn't hate them, didn't hate them. Just thought I didn't really get to see everything that they could do. So I hate Andy Serkis. Really, I can't stand him. I tolerated him as Gollum, but everything else he's ever done, not interested. I was not happy with this Alfred. What are you? Really? What about you? Yeah, I just don't feel like there was a bunch of Alfred to have any real feelings for. If anything, I felt that maybe that relationship needed a little more work. I was, I felt I had sufficient uh, with the the Gordon dynamic, but the Alfred dynamic, I felt like it was implied because he was seemed pretty. Uh, there was definitely an estranged bit between them. I mean, because at at this point we're seeing Bruce Wayne as, as kind of like a full on recluse Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know what, you know, it, it it is as interesting as the, the Batman's trajectory was the Bruce Wayne 
part is also interesting, but I, this is probably the least amount of like Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne we've seen. Um, it absolutely is. And I think the main conflict here is Alfred basically saying, you you have to be Bruce Wayne. You can't lose yourself and be 100% vengeance. Right. Um, and, you know, that I think that that was an important thing to do. I mean, but if I was going to compare Andy Serkis to any of the other Alfreds, he, this is my least favorite Alfred. Yeah, I think he was fine. I I, I also don't have a deep-seated hatred for Andy Serkis um, like you do. Uh, and I think, I think he was fine. I, which is, which is kind of a bummer. Cause I do think that the Alfred character, um, like in, in the Burton ones, it was, it, it was, he was pleasant. Um, mm-hmm. the reverence was there, but I didn't, he, he didn't get as much of a sense that like, he's almost a sidekick to some degree. Right. Um, you mm-hmm. saw that certainly more, I think with, with Michael Caine, Michael Caine, I think did a really good job of of also being that like the conscience um, mm-hmm. that he needed. And I think that's well, what also to do. comic relief. I think that this movie was sorely lacking in comic relief. Yeah. All of and the maybe, other Batman, yeah. all of the other Batman movies had some lighter moments. This, this never takes a break. This Batman movie. versus Superman is a, the most joyless superhero <laughs> ride you'll ever go on. I can't, I can't. In fact, I would hijack this podcast to just talk about how bad Batman is in Batman versus Superman. Okay, uh, the the Batmobile is revealed. Perfection. It was awesome. I wouldn't say perfection because I have one problem, but it was the stall. Great. <laughs> What's that? When it stalled. <laughs> it's. I couldn't believe it stalled. All right, so just just for people who don't remember the scene, uh, the penguin is looking down a dark alley, and all of a sudden you see the the Batmobile silhouette, and it just looks—I mean, it just looks amazing. It looks—you well, know—it's it looks, coming, right? You know, oh, you, hear, you just, hear the growl. It's, it's one of the best moments of the film. Like people were like hooting and hollering in the in the theater I was in, and then for some reason it stalls. <laughs> why why it's it's a great moment what is it what's the matter with the batmobile was it a fake stall i honestly don't i i was looking at it, it I, I was thinking about it for the next 10 minutes of the movie <laughs> i was thinking this i know that this chase is supposed to bring me back to the french connection there's a bunch of homages here why did the batmobile just stall does it i mean that's the thing i'm wondering too is the the fear of jumping off, the stall of the car. Is there an element of <laughs> even the Batmobile is afraid? Well, is there an element of again? He's been doing this for one to two years. He's sort of doing mm-hmm. this whole like not all of this is fleshed out. I mean, if you look his his so called Batcave, there's parts all over the place. Like things are mm-hmm. in the process of being built. So I kind of got the sense that that Batmobile might be kind of newly constructed. I don't know. Look, it just it it was an unfortunate moment. I, See, I had no problem with. I, to me, that was one of the when you say there was no comic relief, that one kind of made me chuckle. Okay, I'll tell you one one thing that did. Like my son, I watched it with my son. He's fourteen, 
he laughed out loud when Paul Dano started singing Ave Maria. <laughs> I could see that. And it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, no, he's going all around the bend. This guy is revealing how utterly crazy he is. He's deranged, and my son is just cracking up. That's and I funny. couldn't stop. I, I mean, I started laughing, too. It just, it, yeah. it just seemed... It just seemed unintentionally comedic to me. Yeah, we could, and I think we should spend some time on the Riddler in a little bit. But uh. yeah, all right. Um, so the Batmobile, I, I'm going to say it it exceeded expectations. I don't know why it stalled. Uh, <laughs> it was a weird, wild moment. Uh, Bruce Wayne displays his currency as a social elite. I'm going to say this was very disappointing. I and it could it very well be could be answered by your take on it like he's not the Batman yet. Right. The Batman is a dual character. Right now, this guy is going through his vengeance stage, and so we don't have that yet. We do we do have the moment at the funeral, right? They're in the church. And but so he's still Batman. That. He's still Batman. He's still more Batman than Bruce Wayne in this scene. When Batman becomes a hero is when he understands the importance of Bruce Wayne. In the city, and mm. and keeping mm. and maintaining a duality, and at this point, every bit of being Bruce Wayne is a trudge to this guy. Every bit of being Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. is is to step into a world that has has hurt him. Is a world because he talked about the the thing that he's afraid of. He reveals this with with Alfred is that the thing he's afraid of is is the moment of losing people you care about. Hmm. So Batman doesn't care about people. He doesn't get to. Batman enacts vengeance. Bruce Wayne has to get to know people. Bruce Wayne has to forge relationships, even with mm. Alfred. Mm. So to be Bruce Wayne is to step into fear mm-hmm. that, and face it. And he doesn't want it, right? So there's a mm-hmm. reluctance. And I think... Well, should so I read that? Should I, should I use that to read the relationship with Catwoman in this movie too? I would think so. You right, think he's so, afraid to connect with her, right? And then Batman accidentally makes, and so he's in the costume, and he makes this, and he, then this relationship kind of forges, and so there's something about his own humanity that says, you know, cowl or no cowl, uh-huh. you're still a person, and it's you're not going to be able to, and also to some degree, you're not really going to be adequate at this role. Hmm. You're not going to get to be a hero if if you don't have any connections with people. Um, so this whole this whole journey, I think, is 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 pretty wonderful. Like I said, it, it's have it's, we seen a Batman like do a full on French kiss while he's wearing the cowl? Yeah, <laughs> see, that's what I'm like, man. I and mean, that's when I get some of that. I'm I think this may be the that. first time that that's, I've seen this. But I, I want guess... to see Batman go to second base on the cowl. <laughs> I will. That does bring up a couple of these stupid Easter eggs that I noticed. I, all of these I thought were ham-fisted. Okay, so if one, at one point, Andy Circus says that when I used to be in the circus, uh-huh. I, I noticed it. I, uh-huh. I did not appreciate it. At one point, <laughs> Batman is actually using a bat, a baseball bat. Uh-huh. I, I thought, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I want this pun. I don't want, I don't want this visual pun. Um, and then Catwoman at one point drinks milk. That's right, fine. Right fine that's fine and then at another point she says you know what's the matter with you do you live in a cave uh-huh. none of these worked for me none of them worked 
Nah, you gotta lighten up. This is Batman. Uh, I guess you're right. I, I, I should lighten up. Okay, next one. Batman reflects on his own vigilanteism. Th- that was a big part of this movie. Right. And that goes back to my whole notion of, like, this is an origin mm-hmm. story, right? And, and, and nothing better than coming face-to-face with the Riddler and one of his goons um, and seeing uh, that he's laying out a blueprint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're a vigilante for your own cause... You know, it's really easy to convince yourself that it's for a better cause. Mm. And this is the slippery slope that he becomes, uh, you know, fully aware of, right? When the Riddler basically says, we're the same. and Which you see in a lot of Batman movies, but I think that this one, the Riddler really thought they were on the same team. Right, and I think that that's key, is that the Riddler wasn't convincing Batman. Like, I think we've seen that with the Joker. The Joker the Joker is an agent of chaos, and so you see that trying to convince Batman, hey, sure. you, know, you're, you and I are the same, whereas the Riddler's like, wait, I thought we were the same. And, and that added another element of, like, it helped understand some of those motivations. And then when yeah. you see, when you see the, the and they unmask the, the goon, and he says... Um, you know, so I'm, I'm vengeance. vengeance. I mean, yeah. that's ah, that's such a great because because and I and it's great. And as a as, as an audience member, it really was impactful because when Batman first says he's vengeance, you're like, yeah, get him, Batty. And then at the end, when it's <laughs> when he says it, when he comes face to face with it, it's like, oh, this is tragic. And See, uh, I think all right. So this this was the part of the movie where it had lost me. And so the whole the whole scene inside the arena, I was not. I was not tracking with. And I kind of felt like when he says, when that goon says I'm vengeance, I felt like, Oh geez, did I need that? You know, did I need that sort of ham fisted overt in your face? Hey, look, Batman's on the border of vigilanteism. I, I kind of felt like I didn't need it, but it could be that I had already kind of lost the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- I can see I can see that working for someone else. It didn't work for me. I think it I, personally it worked for me. Um, I it, because I mean again we know the Batman trajectory right, and if we mm-hmm. and if we if we abandon all the things that we know, then we don't have another Batman movie, right? That, that sort of kind of goes without saying. At that point, you go, well, you don't need any of it because you just watch Batman fly around. Um, I I think it was important for the odd for for that scenario because he's who he's surrounded by. Hmm. He just got done. Full on mansplaining to to Catwoman <laughs> why she shouldn't kill uh, yeah. Carmine Falcone, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 so and then there's a certain amount of hypocrisy that I think is really important for this journey because I think Batman gets, you know, he gets humbled a lot, right? I mean, like he's he made some some mistakes. The Riddler did outsmart him in some ways, right? I mean, like he yeah. he missed it. Um, yeah, the Riddler's disappointed with Batman on two levels. He thought that the Batman was smarter, and he thought that the Batman was sort of on the same page as in terms of sort of taking down the corrupt establishment. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and um, and so I think when you know when the, when he's and again maybe yeah maybe it has something to do with how you feel about the third act altogether. Um, but uh, I think it was good. I liked it. I liked that it sort of bookended it um, and brought him, you know, to that space. Because, it, 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 like, right there to that space. Like, okay. And, and that's where he had to make the decision, right? 
he can mm-hmm. go up here and start pummeling these fools because that's what he was just doing. He was just doing the I am vengeance move. If it was a Mortal Kombat Batman and you just do the move, but it was that's the I am vengeance fatality. That's the thing he's been right. doing. And yeah. so now, as a result of it, the victim tells him that. And I think sure. that's a pretty interesting uh, turn. And then at that point, he makes he has to. That's when he makes the turn, kind of to go. Okay, look, I got to be willing to. I used to say I'd be I'd be willing to die. Yeah. I now the question is, am I willing to live? Uh, right to be a hero, right? And that's that's interesting. Well, and I like that. And it was very close to the scene where he gave himself the adrenaline shot. Right. Well, that's and that's he, yeah. He goes off. He like loses all control. He doesn't pull punches. He almost kills a guy, basically. Yeah. So I, I don't remember whether that happens before or after the... That's the guy he was pummeling. R- okay. All right. That, so that's, that, a, so that's what I'm sure. saying. He went, he went vengeance mode, and then the guy responds. Okay. Yeah, I th- maybe that works a little bit more better for me on, on Rethink. Um, In the moment, I was not impressed, but... Okay. Well, he'd also been in a chair for, like, what, close to three hours. Oh, my gosh. This movie was so long. Okay, so we should talk about Paul Dano. So, do you say Dano or Dano? I say Dano, but I could be wrong. I've always said Dano, and I heard other people say Dano. I don't know. So, um, this was the first superhero movie that I've seen where it was basically like, your hero is going to be investigating a serial killer. Right. It's not more than that. It, that's what you're looking at. I mean, he had sort of the online message board part of it, which we've seen in other movies, but not in superhero movies. And I thought that this was a very original, uh, I sort of, a portrayal of a villain. This is, I mean, this was, a, I was very, I was cautiously optimistic about this film because I don't know if it had been you that I was talking about with or someone else where I was saying, like, I want, like, after, after The Dark Knight, Mm-hmm. I wanted a Riddler movie, but I said I wanted it to be uh, like more like clues and trying to, you know, like really using the detective skills, right? Less technology, mm-hmm. um, more brain, right? That's what I was really hoping for because I thought, because that was the big question was like, how do you follow up um, Heath Ledger's Joker? You need to come up with a, a, a villain that can, that can do, you know, the same kind of things you know, to an audience, but, you know, without that same, you know, chaos and, and maniacal. And I was like, oh, that's right. You should be, you should do that. You should go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was kind of like a, uh, a realization of, of that hope. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was done very well. I, I think, I mean, Paul Dano is a great actor. I'm really glad he did this. I, I will watch him again in the next one. I kind of felt like, um, I, I, it wasn't, it was pretty straightforward. I don't know. Which I, was did, the, I didn't, the, the I didn't believe that this the... guy's was, I did not believe this guy was a genius. <laughs> I, I guess what, that's what I'm saying. He had some pretty easy riddles to solve. Well, he did and he didn't, right? Like he had easy riddles to solve. Yeah. But, but then like, well, there, there, he would have clues within clues like the, the carpet tucker, for example. Like he uses yeah. that right out the gate, right? So he he that's the murder weapon. Batman figures out thumb drive, you know, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, like you're talking about that was that was a funny moment when he hands he has the thumb hanging <laughs> off the. That's a funny <laughs> moment, and 
and funny dark for a Batman. And um, and at the same time, kind of a visual pun. This is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's again. I, I don't. I, I feel like I have to remind you what the source material is. <laughs> okay. All right. Keep going. Um, and so, uh, I mean, obviously, you have a bat signal. It has to always be foggy. <laughs> of course. But you're okay with that. Nobody's having that problem. Look, but, this is the most rainy Gotham City right. that has ever existed. God bless. If ever you change. had a good bat signal, it was this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, but like, so they, the, uh, there were clues within clues because there were moments you're like, yeah, that seems pretty obvious and kind of on the nose. But I kind of felt too that that was part of the, that was the intent. Mm. Take it because I mean, the, the ultimate clue, the real change is underneath the carpet. And it's, and that's the big one, right? That's the big, you find that early, who knows, okay. right? I, mean, I think we should talk about the set piece. All right. So the, I can kind of get the metaphor like, you know, there's a corruption problem. It needs to be cleansed. We're going to break the seawalls mm-hmm. so that the water comes in and purifies the city. But this is the this is the Riddler's big plan. Was anyone affected by this? You saw some people way steep in water. That was about the, as much well, no, as they were, were actually they, menaced. He was moving everybody to one space to pick him off. Okay, so he's trying to get everyone to move into the arena so he could get a bunch of shooters. Because all because they were all mobilized uh-huh. for the arena, so they need to get everybody in one spot. So now that's how you you don't just you're cleansing it. Yes, you're cleansing it with the water, but the water wasn't the true cleanse. The water so pushes everybody. So the Riddler into, did not plan that the water. He didn't. the The Riddler did not have in mind the idea that the water might break through into the arena, or did he not care? I don't think I he didn't care because everybody everybody was getting everybody was going to that spot. Right. I mean that's. Uh-huh. The water broke in. We also, would like I think to your point, the water broke in, and they were still like they weren't like drowning in it, right? Because that was still a safer place. And they even mentioned that they said this is not really supposed to have this many people. Yeah, here. I mean, look, I guess the here's the thing. I wasn't, I didn't feel afraid for these people. I thought this is going to be rough. They're going to have to dry off later. They're going to be wet for a while. <laughs> this is the wettest Batman. <laughs> well, the. The water was less of the issue at that. I mean, of course, there was the oh yeah, now there's electricity that could hit the water and kill them all. That seemed like a problem. Yeah, no, for sure it was. For sure it was. Is that now? Help me understand this. At one point, Batman jumps off of the railing or wherever he's on, like in the rafters, uh-huh. and he grabs onto like a a cable. Yeah. Is that to keep the electricity out of the water? Was that his idea? Cause it, yeah, because the thing was going to come down, and it was uh-huh. all going to be plugged in. So if he separated the part that was the heaviest, that was taking it, that was mm-hmm. bringing all that down, uh, then that would diffuse that piece, and that piece would just be a big chunk of metal that hits the water as opposed right. to... Okay. I will say this. My son, my son had a few notes on this movie, and he said that the flooding graphics uh, really worked for him. So okay. Just a, just a little bit of that. Just a little bit from... From my 14-year-old son on this. All right. Anyway, again, this is sort of at the point of the movie where I was a little bit out of it. Okay, so 
finally well, then it, it does take a turn right the movie does take now we're into more of a superhero movie right yeah sure sure but i think that there's something to be said for that right i mean if you're gonna make a sequel to batman uh to the batman mm-hmm. you're you're gonna probably need to be more superheroish right i mean that's what happens yeah. And so in order to do that, you need, you need the movie sort of transitions the same time Batman does to some degree. Um, I mean, if he's just only solving clues and riddles, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I'm actually perfectly fine with that to be, to be for, for me, because I've seen a lot of other Batman stuff, but I do get a little concerned, like, okay, now are we going to just jump into just full, you know, Batman f- fighting baddies in the traditional sense? That's where I get mm-hmm. a little nervous. Sure. Batman contends with the Wayne legacy. This movie really does a zag on this point. Although we did sort of see a foreshadowing with this in the Joker. Mm -hmm. Um, This one, I think in previous Batman movies, you always had Bruce thinking, how am I ever going to live up to my father's legacy? He was a saint, right? Right. And I'm not a saint. I'm I'm troubled. Uh, And I like to punch people. (laughs) So... (laughs) This one was very different. He realizes that he had this vision of his father as a saint. And in reality, he turned to the mafia at one point to solve a problem. Right. And so this is sort of him contending with the the Wayne legacy. Um, I thought this was good. I thought this was... Uh, I've, I, this really, for me, made the Thomas Wayne legacy piece more interesting than in previous iterations. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I think so. I like it was the deconstruction of the legacy too. I think that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yeah, there was something about when you when you look back and when when Alfred's telling him like, well, he didn't do this to save his reputation. He did this to protect your mother. He did this for your mother. And I think it goes mm-hmm. back to the theme of um, Bruce Wayne, Batman is sort of protecting an abstract, right? And and for and, and you know his father was essentially willing to tarnish his legacy and put everything in jeopardy that he had been building to protect the ones he loved. Hmm. And, and Bruce Wayne is completely allowing himself to be divorced from that. And so the concept of, well, maybe your father wasn't a saint, but that doesn't make him necessarily less of a hero, at least in terms of his relationship with the family. Right. Um, And to go further, I mean, he ended up dying for it. Because he, right. was, he wanted to do the right thing when it got, when it, you know, I mean, obviously he made a mistake and it got out of control. So then he wanted to do right. And then by doing right, that's so there's something to be said for for that little that, that brief look into that timeline and how that is key to to, to seeing Bruce Wayne right. shift um, his. Goals well, and, and his also goals. it keeps with the noir trope, because in all of these noir films, it's always like, OK, so there's a guy, he's a detective. And he gets too personally involved in the case. And in this case, he's on, you know, Bruce Wayne is a detective. He happens to be wearing a cowl and a cape, but he's a detective. And the the case he's investigating is absolutely massive personal stakes for him. Right. So it does. This particular version of Batman is playing with the noir stuff there. Well, and also that's something uh, interesting, and, and Heather really was, uh, she pointed this out to me, real keen to point it out. It's like, well, maybe if he was a little more interested in being Bruce Wayne and doing some of the the work that he thought was 
you mm-hmm. know, not important, like the, like <laughs> dealing with your accounting, dealing with your, you know, finances. Maybe you realize that your renewal fund that your father set up is being completely siphoned by corrupt cops in the mob, but because <laughs> you've been just sort of, point. and I thought that was like, just, a, and what I liked is that that's just another, that's an implied part, right? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, a, it's not. It's a really great point. Kudos to Heather for sure. The Riddler's whole origin story is that he's an orphan. And it just so it turns out that the money that was supposed to improve the Riddler's life uh, is taken over by the mafia. Well, why did the mafia take it over? Well, because Bruce Wayne doesn't give a shit about his family business. Right. That's a great point. All right. Well, all right. Finally, uh, Batman brings hope to Gotham City. Yes? No? Oh, yeah. I'm going to say no. Oh, because Gotham is just too depraved. I think that they established Gotham as a pretty depraved place. I didn't feel at the end of this film like there was any great hope for Gotham City. Well, I think that's just it. I think, and I think that was that was made very clear. Is is Catwoman says herself? There's just this city's is what it is. There's no redeeming this city, mm-hmm. and he and he says otherwise and there's the scene where you know i mean obviously it's like these are these are minor scenes but like the person's getting airlifted and she holds on to batman um there's that that brief moment where where a citizen of gotham is like i'm not i know i'm going to safety but i i feel safer with you Mm. um the way he's leading the charge the way he's pulling you know you know the way that he just he's just down in it right people are following him somebody who's been avoiding people essentially the only thing he does to people is beat them up he avoids them and now he's now they're following very he's kind of got that rocky moment where they're chasing up the stairs yeah Um, and and i I, it you know and it's long and it's kind of drawn out and it's melodramatic for sure at times but i i think that the the intent is yeah this city may and and this is kind of this is the uh probably the ultimate message of hope in almost any, uh, whether it's fiction, whether it's religion, um, any kind of storytelling says, in a world of despair, be hope. You and may you, not... You be the hope that you'd like to see, something like some, that. Right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the idea, right? I mean, sure. it's, it's like, because hope is different. Hope is different than, um, than a solution. Yeah, hope, that's right. And, and so... Batman, or you know, basically says, "I'm going to stick around. I'm not going to go and just, you know, he's, I can easily do whatever I want." Mm-hmm. And well, I'm, this is I something choose. that I think that the Nolan movies did well. It's like at the end of it, it's still a dark landscape, but there's like the silver lining, right? You've got you've got at least one good night on this landscape. I don't know. Well, this is this and like I said, this is the introduction. Not. This movie ends with him deciding to do this, right? Sure. So that's what I saw, right? I saw uh, the beginning. He says, look, there's more, there's more looting, there's more, mm-hmm. now there's, a, there's vacuums to be filled and it will be filled by um, people seeking power. Yeah. And so now his job is different. Before it was, I'm gonna go and just, and, and be vengeance and, and put an end to all this, you know, this corruption or whatever. But now it's like, oh, now I've got, now I'm gonna protect. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to save, and that's a and that's a different story, right? So so he, hope 
like, yeah, Gotham may be worse now than it was, you know, a week before the week that this, you know, the week before this all happened. Um, but also it has a hero that it didn't have before. And yet I don't feel like Bruce has made much improvement on his trauma. Like he still sort of rejects any kind of would be relationship with Catwoman at the end. Well, but she's not looking to she's not looking to stay. And that I think that's a great line when she says you're already spoken for. And Right, he's he is married to Gotham City. Right, and that's why I just and to me that that line in in a moment where I had been kind of like all right, you know, this movie could have been two and a half hours. Like that's where I was. Mm-hmm. I was in that this is a two and a half hour movie uh disguised as a three hour movie. Mm-hmm. And but so I was still able to hang on to, to stuff at the end. And when she just said that you're already spoken for, I really liked that because I like that, you know, that, like I said, Gotham City as a character, um, really that, that that tied a little bow on it that I really appreciated. And I think it did help with the idea of like, that's where she said, this is why you and I can't be together because I don't want to be here. I don't hope or no hope. I, like I, to be with you is to try to stay and be hope in a city of depravity. And that's not my thing. I'm going to go take care of me. And it's a lonely journey he decides to go on. Steve, is this movie better, worse, or on par with a Ron Howard film? I would say hour one is a Howard plus seven. Okay. Hour two is a Howard plus three. And hour three is properly Howard. <laughs> Wow. So do I need to like uh do an average here? It's up to you. I don't do math on this podcast. I see. Okay, well let's do a little bit of math here. All right. So the the first uh the, the first hour seven? I thought the first hour was excellent. All right. So 7 uh, for the first hour and then what was it for the next? 3 plus 3. 3. So we're going to say you're your score is a Howard plus 3.33. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. Okay. I'm going to say this is a Howard minus two. What? <laughs> I felt like it had almost all of the points that you want in a Batman movie. And I enjoyed all of the points. And in many cases, those points exceeded my expectations of what I wanted in a Batman movie. And for some reason... The parts did not work as a whole. Mm, gotcha. I just, there was just something, maybe it was the, the duration of it. Maybe it was, I, I, it, the mo- at the end of the day, the movie did not work well enough. And it could be that if I watch it again, I have a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed so many aspects of the film. I enjoy. I think the actors were great. I think Gotham was well conceived. The plot was a little bit simplistic, a little bit too much exposition. At the end of the day, I it didn't come together for me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there it is. My wife has gone on record saying that this is her favorite Batman performance by any Batman. Hey, I think Pattinson's a great Batman, for sure. I think that he needs someone who knows how to edit a film. 
there was there were definite moments where I felt like this is this is uh, and a re- the end of the return of the king. Yes. How many uh, endings do we need? Yeah. So there was a lot of those, um, and there were moments that, like, I mean, you could have, you could, like, I actually, there were moments of where, and I think in the first hour does this really well, where there's not much dialogue. Okay. I was driving home with my son, and I said, uh, I said, well, did you like it? He liked it. It was not too long for him. And I said, well, at times I'll admit I was a bit bored. I thought it was too long, and I was a bit bored at times. And then he got angry with me. Oh. Because I really like Dune. And from, <laughs> from his perspective, how could I say that Dune isn't boring right. when this movie was boring at times? And it was hard. I couldn't explain to him why. <laughs> and he and he found the inconsistency very frustrating. Well, and and he's right to be frustrated with his father. And it, I don't know if it has anything to do with this film or not. But he's in, he's in a good space at fourteen to be frustrated with you and to be willing to point out your inconsistencies. Yeah, it's uh, true. There were definitely moments in this movie. Like I said, it's a, it's a half hour too long. Um, and I could probably go through and tell which parts you want to cut out, like parts that I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I got that. You didn't have to explain that part. Um, uh, I actually, I, as much as I enjoyed the Batman Riddler back and forth, I think that could have been cut a little bit um, mm-hmm. yeah. for effect or edited differently, right? Where other things are happening and then you go back to it and then, you, you know, to make it because there were moments of, of when it was menacing and then it wasn't menacing because uh-huh. it went on too long. Um, but I, I, in my mind, you, there's nothing, if, and again, cause I, I hold our, uh, our rating scale is sacred. There's nothing in my, there's nothing in my opinion that Ron Howard could have done better. <laughs> in fact, if you think this movie's, if you feel like it's straightforward with Ron Howard, it, look, Ron, if you're listening and I know you are, don't do a Batman movie. I think Ron Howard would be excellent at taking this movie. You know, he could just edit the film that they used on this, right? Mm. Giving me a two-hour movie, I guarantee you you it's a better movie. He would give you Solo. That's what he did with Solo. (laughs) How do you feel about Solo? We could argue about Solo, but here's what I think. I think that this movie was bloated, and that was a big part of the problem. And I think that you were not going to find a bloated Ron Howard film. That's my okay. So, it. so yeah, there would have been less good things too, though. That's <laughs> very, that's the rub. It's very possible. It's very possible. Maybe if they had used the Tom Hanks fat suit on Colin Farrell. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the, the for the Elvis. For Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do I want Tom Hanks in a fat suit? I don't think I do. I'm already going, do I want an Elvis movie? And then you're like, well, what if I told you that there's a fat-suited Tom Hanks? I'm like, oh, so he plays fat Elvis. Like, oh, no, no. (laughs) No. This is a skinny Elvis, but we wanted to put someone in a fat suit. A perpetually skinny Elvis, by the way. (laughs) And a perpetually fat Tom Hanks. (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't like it? I honestly feel like I might like it on rewatch but i did not like it this time around i was really trying to like it i really tried see i was trying to dislike it yeah 
because then the moments where I was disliking it, I was like, all right, this is where it's going to lose me. And then I'm like, yeah, ah, mm-hmm. no, you got me again. You got me again. And that's the editing thing, right? Like, I think if you cut a half hour, I don't think that I'd have those <laughs> moments. But you give me that much time to start wondering if I like it. Um, okay, so here's what happened. The night before I watched this film, I rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Which I've now seen like four or five times. So you want to compare the two, and maybe this one didn't. <laughs> I did. I, that movie has a lot of dead space. There's a that's a very big, long, mood setting film, and I was in it for every minute of it. Like I wanted well, to Tarantino, see Tarantino. Tar- Tarantino does so many, so much with dead space. Though. I'm riveted. I'm looking at Cliff Booth open a can for his dog. I'm watching him feed his dog for five minutes and I'm just riveted by the whole thing. This movie, I just felt maybe it was just tonally. There was, there were no breaks. Maybe I don't know what it was. It didn't work. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have no issues with people that didn't like it. You know what I mean? It's like, I totally get it. Um, I was the third act. I was, I was, it was a bit more of a chore. I feel like he didn't do the action sequences as good as, or the dramatic parts of the action sequences, I don't think did as much for me. Um, do you think that part of that was the fact that you had seen all of the best scenes in the previews? That's possible. I um, wish I had never seen a preview for this film. I felt I like agree. I agree. I there think... were a couple of really great action sequences that I would have loved to see for the first time on the big screen. Yeah, I thought I thought Pattinson was excellent, um, absolutely excellent. I thought what he did as Batman was uh, he was understated when he needed to be. I thought he I, I I had no issues with this sort of the the sad Bruce Wayne. I thought it was I thought it was really well done. Um, I thought the villain was sufficiently creepy. I thought Tatura was excellent. Tatura uh, was great, fantastic. Um, I, I actually, I, I obviously I like the the Jeffrey Wright Pattinson dynamic much more. I thought that they did a pretty good job with that. Um, it was a little wet. Uh, I actually liked. I, I once I got over the fact that it was Colin Farrell, and I'm like, wow, you really you don't even know he's then. So I just stopped thinking about him as that. I couldn't stop thinking. I just was staring at his eyes, thinking, where, where did they? Yeah. Where where are you? Are you in there? Well, somewhere? and that's just it, right? So I think to some degree, I'm like, that's Colin Farrell's doing an amazing job right now. Uh, and uh, I actually I actually cared about the Batman Catwoman relationship, which I haven't so much in the past. It's always been a little, you know, comic book mm-hmm. tropey to me. This it's actually, hard, yeah, it's hard to do Catwoman. So I think the jury is out on Pattinson as Bruce Wayne because I think he was he was really good as the Bruce Wayne that this movie needed him to be. Yeah, and so when he goes, assuming the next role will be Bruce Wayne more as the you know um, uh-huh. the socialite, I'm actually very curious. I think he can do it. I'm just curious to see how he pulls it off. Um, I think the tone is going to change somewhat in the next Batman. I think it kind of has to. I think the Joker was. I'll be honest. I think that was my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah, was, I was really disappointed. I was like, I was ah. really disappointed. First off, I don't know that I need it. Like, there was a lot of this movie I think could have been mid credit, post credit, and I think it would have worked. So this is this is a uh, Barry Keegan. Mm-hmm. If you've seen the Eternals, I haven't, but I've the, read about him. 
Oh, it's 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 horrible. He's one of the Eternals, uh, and honestly, I don't I don't know I don't know how you're gonna bring the Joker into this this world. To be honest, yeah, and I don't know, and like I didn't want it. That was the other thing. Like I didn't I know what I was supposed to like. But the end of Batman Begins, when that card comes out and it's the Joker, you're like, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. This I didn't have that. I didn't He's in have... one scene. He's in one scene. Are you telling me you can't get Joaquin Phoenix for one scene? Well, I don't think they're going to do Joaquin Phoenix. That's not their Joker Two universe is going to be different. Yeah, but I—that's what I want. You're not getting... <laughs> well, that's not what you're going to get. Well, okay. I think that we we've come to the end of our time. I believe so. I'm going to go make dinner for my son, who hopefully has forgiven me for my inconsistencies. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>